Welcome, welcome, welcome to another edition of Who Says No. I am officially back from vacation. And I don't know if I usually let people in on my personal life news on this show. But actually, I don't know. Have I told anybody on the show about this? I don't know. I'm kind of rambling at this point. But long story short, I am moving back to New York next month. And because I'm moving back to New York, well, thank you for, for jumping in. I think you're the first guest who's ever made a noise before being introduced. But before I move back to New York, I wanted to catch up on the local basketball teams. And joining me to talk about one of them, who had a very interesting offseason, my friend Macklin Stern to talk about the New York Knicks. Macklin, welcome back to the podcast. Sam, it is an absolute pleasure to be back. It is an absolute pleasure that you're returning to the Mecca. You're returning to New York City. Uh, I'm so I'm so glad that that was your segue into introducing me as the guest. Uh, I'm pretty honored about that. Um, and yeah, we've got a lot to catch up on about the Knicks. Last time we talked about him, it was uh, right after their regular season finished. They clinched the four seed, and then we uh, you know we don't necessarily have to talk too much about what happened in the uh, in the good old playoffs right after that. But we uh, we've made a couple moves since then. Yeah, wasn't the last time we talked, didn't we end on something like, here's why the Knicks are going to win the 2022 championship? Something like that. We ended on some really ridiculous take. It might have been Zion is coming. I can't remember what it was. But then the Hawks kind of dropped them back down to earth, and here we are. And it was a bit more of a modest offseason, and I think that's a good place to start, which is there was a period the first few days of the offseason where things looked, I'm not going to say negative, but like boring, I guess. The Knicks signed Evan Fournier four years. Well, it's three years with the non-guarantee. Close to $20 million a year, a little bit less. Resigned Alec Burks, re-signed Nerlens Noel. And at that point, before we get into everything else, what are you thinking about the offseason? When I saw those signings, uh, honestly, well, first, as you said, it was the Burks and Nerlens Noel dominoes that fell. And I thought to myself, oh, God, we're getting no one we're running it back and we're kind of pushing all of our money towards those guys. Then obviously that Fournier signing happens. And I was like, okay, that's good. I've always been a fan of Fournier. He can score. He can create. He's tough. He's not afraid at all. The four year 78 seemed a little bit high. Um, but it, you know, I think after that point, it really wasn't until I saw that they had one team options on each of their contracts for that last, which season. is also just a pretty standard Knicks thing. I mean, they did that. Julius Randall had a team option. Now, obviously right. they didn't exercise it, but that's just a pretty common thing they do. And I think moving forward, that's probably just something we should expect from them. Yeah, no, I, I really like that trend. Uh, but yeah, so it wasn't really until the team options and then the Kemba deal uh, that definitely brought my spirits up and made me sit back and think a little bit more. And obviously the Julius Randall extension, which was fairly team friendly for who he is and what he was last year. Um, and then I, I think it's just that, you know, that general idea of like once time has passed, once you have a little while to think about things, what you have in front of you, you think a little bit about who we drafted, how they performed in summer league and, we can get into that in a little while, but to me, that felt like a home run, our draft this year in a lot of ways. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think, I think we did a nice job. And I think if you, if you start thinking about, okay, who, who could we have signed to propel us into the title picture out of anyone who is a free agent this year, 
I don't think it was anybody. So I think, yeah, we, we took some steps. Other teams took steps as well, but overall I liked what we did. Yeah. It doesn't seem like Kyle Lowry was realistically available to the Knicks unless like, look, if you want to do a three-year max, like, okay, maybe then he would have done it. I think it was smart not to get carried away there. Duncan Robinson was somebody that I liked, but was off the market pretty quickly. And given his restricted rights and the fact that Miami stayed above the cap, there wasn't really a path to him. So you look down at just some of the guys who were left, like, I don't think Spencer Dinwiddie made all that much sense. I know that we've gotten these reports that, oh, he didn't think the Knicks were all that desirable. Well, I don't think you were all that desirable to the Knicks, Spencer. So sorry. Um, <laughs> just going down the list, I, I mean, the Knicks were not going to do the Tim Hardaway thing again. Like as many jokes as there could have been about that, that was just never going to happen. All things considered, like if the offseason ended there, I think there could have been real questions about the flexibility and we can get into that too. But Fournier as the major addition, like I like it. I think it checks a lot of boxes. Good enough defender, worse than Reggie Bullock. And I think we'll talk about the defense as well. I think it's going to get a little bit worse, but Fournier is fine on defense. Awesome shooter who has never been on a remotely decent offense. I think the Knicks are not a great offense, to be clear. They're better than what he had in Orlando, and that's really going to help him. If you look at his open shooting numbers, his wide open shooting numbers, they're always very, very high. It's just that he didn't get that many of those shots. And then he adds a little bit of playmaking, which Reggie Bullock definitely did not. Reggie did not really dribble. Um, so I think as far as like if that was going to be your big addition, it was a meaningful improvement. It was a big it was a big financial commitment. But I would have been okay if they would have – I'm not going to say I would have been okay if they just stopped there. But if Fournier was the biggest name they'd added this offseason, I wouldn't have criticized them too much for that. But then Kemba happens. And before we talk about the basketball, I just want to talk about this as New Yorkers. Like, this means a lot to me personally to have somebody who – and, like, look, I know Carmelo is from New York. I know he was born in Brooklyn. I know there have been other players who have, like – Stefan Marbury is another example. That one went south pretty quickly. But like having somebody who truly grew up in New York, had his high school career in New York, played at UConn, which is essentially New York City's college team, right? Like that means something to me, even if this doesn't amount to championships. I'm curious as a fan who is a little more disconnected than I am, just from the perspective of like, you know, I'm a reporter, so I have to maintain some objectivity. What does this mean to you? Yeah, I mean, first of all, Kemba Walker coming back to New York City, just like the notorious Sam Quinn coming back to New York City. So you've there got are some similarities there. Part. I'll leave it at that. <laughs> <laughs> Me and Kemba, we've got some things in common. Sure, there are some differences, but we've got some things in common. <laughs> no, I mean, honestly, when I saw the – first of all, I've always been a big Kemba Walker fan, and I think a piece of that, as you said, was him being a local New York guy, UConn, the way he plays, I've always loved, you know, how, just how hard he plays on defense, you know, obviously a great creator, always clutch, you know, he's had some injuries recently, but I think the Kemba signing just to me is really a reflection on the Knicks roster right now, which is like, they just have so many likable dudes. Like, who on the Knicks right now could you argue is unlikable? Like, Derrick Rose is Alec the only Burks one. Because he gets, like, hurt sometimes. Derrick like, Rose maybe. is the only player that I, I think there are some very okay, incredible yeah. reasons not to like him. But everybody else, you're right. And, like, for those who have not spoken to Kemba personally, like, look, with superstars, they're always it's, – it's complicated. He's probably, like, at least in the ones that I've met and spoken to, 
he is as nice as a superstar could be expected to be. And like, I know niceness is not something that we generally talk about with basketball players. He is just an awesome human being. And I don't really have anything to add to that. Like his teammates all like him. Like, I don't know. I can't remember any stories of teammates disliking him. He's going to be good in the locker room. He's going to be great in the community. I'm sure they're going to be like the price of Kemba Walker autographs is going to be very low because he's going to sign so many of them that the market is going to get flooded. Yeah. Um, well, it's, it's cool. It's, it's different for the Knicks who, I mean, a lot of they're. I'm not going to say that they've had complicated star players. I'm not going to say that like they've had unlikable star players, but like New York's relationship with Carmelo was a little messy. Marbury, we don't have to get into, but that got a little messy too. Like it's cool to have an all-star who you can just unabashedly love. Right. And I think like, Honestly, the Kemba, just thinking about the Kemba Walker signing and him being, you know, from the area, like it honestly makes me think of Andrew Velasquez to pull in a a baseball reference who's, for those who are unfamiliar, uh, he's been playing Yankee shortstop for basically the last 10 games. He's from the Bronx, has bounced around to a couple teams, hasn't really found his footing. He's 27 years old. The Yankees signed him. He moved back home to his Bronx apartment with his parents and has been living with them while he's been playing for the New York Yankees. And you just, those are the types of stories you gravitate to. Like you gravitate to players coming home. And I think obviously Kemba, who, you know, was a bigger star than Andrew Velasquez has been, but you also think about, you know, LeBron coming back to Cleveland, how excited everybody was for that. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, for me personally, I'm, I'm super pumped about Kemba. I think it also helps that we're not hitching our wagon to him and he doesn't have to be this incredible player and we're not paying him tons of money so he doesn't have to pan out. But yeah, I mean, the fact that, you know, we're trotting out Kemba as our starting point guard this year, he averaged 19 and five last year, even though he was hurt for a lot of it, like, He's no schlub. Like, I don't, I personally don't think he's done yet. Uh, we'll see what happens, but it's exciting. Well, you know what I'm thinking right now? The very classic Knicks move is what if they just signed Kemba for the max two off seasons ago? And instead of having him for, you know, 9 million a year, whatever it is, they'd have him for 30 plus the number that the funder traded for him at. Like that is what would have happened. Like that's the very, that's what happened with Amari Stoudemire, right? Like that they got him at this price. Sure. There is risk. Like the injury risk is meaningful. He's gotten older. Like frankly, Derek Rose was very good for them. Emmanuel quickly was very good for them. Like there is some risk here, but at 9 million a year, that's fine. Right? Like there's, there's nothing wrong with that deal. It's very, very high upside. And just, I mean, I hate to keep harping back on this. Not only do I think it's meaningful that he chose New York. I think he was a little biased being from New York. But I think it says something a lot about how players perceive New York right now, right? Like, he chose the Knicks. He got bought out. He could have gone anywhere. If, if he had gone to Philly and said, like, hey, I want to be your solution as the ball handler next to Ben Simmons, I think the Sixers would have jumped on that. If he had gone to the Lakers or if he had gone to the Clippers or if he had gone to the Warriors and said, like, hey, I want to be, you know, a lower minutes, like, role player for you guys and win a championship – He could have done that. He looked around the entire league and he decided the Knicks were where he wanted to be. A lot of New York's problems over the past decades have been superstars looking at the Knicks and specifically not thinking that, right? Like Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant, I mean, that's going to hang over the Knicks forever, did not want to do that for the Knicks. So 
I get that he's not a star in his prime, but like as a fan, it has to feel good that a player with this reputation of this caliber says New York is where I want to be. And it also feels, I agree with everything you're saying. And it, it also feels very almost reminiscent of the Knicks trading for Derek Rose last year. And I'm not saying that all the fans immediately jumped on the Derek Rose bandwagon when that happened, but you saw how he played, right? He's this aging guy who he was a star at one point. He's not what he used to be. And you know, he, he never will be, but he wound up playing some incredibly meaningful minutes for us. And I think fans pretty immediately fell in love with him and Kemba already has that. He's got the New Yorker in him. And so fans love him from the start, but look, he's another point guard. And if he performs, fans are going to love him. If he doesn't, we'll always have that place of him being a New Yorker in our hearts. We'll see. Who cares if he doesn't like they have Rosen quickly. If it really came to a point where like Kemba was so bad that Rosen quickly had to play all the point guard minutes. Well, that's just where they were last year. Exactly. Exactly. And like the other thing about Kemba too, and I don't feel like we can ignore this is, you know, one of the things that the Knicks really focused on this off season was addressing, you know, the hole that they had at the point guard position, obviously Alfred Payton and his, you know, his burner account went on to uh, went on to Phoenix. But I think the fact that they addressed our point guard, you know, we can call it a problem, quote unquote, by kind of signing a plethora of different guys from the veterans and Rose and Kemba, you know, we have quickly back from last year who had a terrific season, uh, you know, for being, what was he? 25th pick, right? 25th pick CBS sports, our employer famously gave them a D plus for that. D plus. Yep. I did not give that grade. I'm just pointing that out. (laughs) Are you sure about that, Sam? No, I know you did. But um, the, I mean, the other thing too is right. Like you have, those veteran guards, but then you also have those younger guys coming in, the Quentin Grimes, Deuce McBride. I think having somebody like Kemba and somebody like D Rose, that kind of veteran leadership who can both lead by example, by how they play, but then also just kind of vocalize like, look, this is what you need to do to be a successful basketball player here in New York. Like Kemba's a great voice for that. I do think we need to discuss the rotation a little bit because the backcourt is suddenly pretty crowded. So let's say with the Tom Thibodeau team, you're probably not playing five guards, right? Like that feels pretty safe to say. So Derek Rose, Emmanuel quickly, Alec Burks, Evan Fournier and Kemba Walker. That's five guys probably for four spots. And I think two of those spots might not get that many minutes. So, or at least, well, I don't know. How do you, how would you, how do you want to go about this? Because I think Fournier is clearly the starter at the two and Kemba's probably starting at the one. I don't think either of them is going to play 40 minutes like Randall and Barrett did, but how are we dividing these minutes among those five guys? And by the way, like don't sleep on this. Dwayne Bacon played 26 minutes a game last year. Like I don't think he signed expecting to be on the bench. I'm glad that you brought up Dwayne Bacon and I'm only going to go off track for a second because can you imagine the types of jokes that Walt Frazier is going to make when Dwayne Bacon either hits a shot or makes some kind of crazy move? So I'm a little annoyed that I'm coming back to New York, actually, because I'm going to be at these games in person. So I will not be able to hear oh, Clyde making these jokes. If I, was still on the, if I was still on the West Coast, I could have just listened on League Pass. I'm going to miss all the jokes. So 
the one that I feel like he has to say is like, oh, bacon slashes to the hoop for a sizzling slam. Or can we get like him in a can we get him in a suit with like bacon print on it? <laughs> or like can we get him a Lady Gaga bacon dress? He has suit those like those like cow pattern suits that he's worn before, like the white and black spots. Yeah, I've definitely yeah. seen Clyde wear those. The other great thing about Dwayne Bacon is if you go on his basketball reference page, he's got two nicknames listed. The first is the Baconator, which is great. Yes. And the second is the Pancetta Shredder. What? <laughs> Which is just unbelievable. I so love the basketball reference nicknamer. Whoever comes up with those, just bravo to that man. Hardest working person in basketball. Yeah, so his signing is worth it at least for the nicknames and at least for the, uh, the Clyde exclamations that we're going to hear. So I would guess he's probably six on the guard pecking order. And that's before we even get into the rookies who rookies tend not to play under Tom Thibodeau. Like, Jimmy Butler did not play as a rookie under Tom Thibodeau. Quickly was an exception last year, and clearly it worked out like Quickly was incredible. But generally, you should expect that the rookies aren't going to play. I am a little worried about Quickly, though, because Tom Thibodeau obviously has a long history with Derrick Rose. I have to assume he's going to be playing significant minutes. And I don't think you pay Alec Burks $10 million a year unless you expect him to play at least 25 minutes, right? So what is, is Burke's going to play some three is, is he going to be the backup three? Is Barrett going to play any four? You can't really do that because of Randall and Toppin. So sure. Injuries are going to make this more simple as the season goes along, but like, I'm kind of trying to figure out what is the base rotation here? Yeah. It's uh, it's really interesting because I think to your point, Tibbs is notorious for, you know, keeping a very small rotation and playing guys heavy minutes kind of avoiding playing the younger dudes for heavy time. And we saw that with, with quickly last year until we got to the playoffs. But my thinking, at least with the point guard position, you've got Kemba, you've got D Rose. To me, I think they're more going to put uh, Deuce McBride as that kind of third string point guard for them. Of course, he's, he's got great, length and wingspan and so he can guard multiple positions which I think only will help him uh, but to me I almost see IQ as backing up RJ if RJ is the starting shooting guard now well, I think Fournier is going to be the two and Barrett's the three is my guess okay you could flip those yeah yeah well so I guess then yeah maybe then you you flip it you have IQ backup Fournier uh, you have RJ you know, be ahead of, or no, sorry. Yeah. You have, yeah. IQ backup Fournier. And then I guess you'd have Burks behind Barrett Burks behind Barrett, but it's true. It's like, it's, it's going to be, I think Thibodeau is going to be in a position where nobody's got, I don't think anyone's going to force him to be playing these guys a lot of minutes, but it's interesting because Quentin Grimes and Deuce McBride, I, to me, I see them as being very different from Emmanuel quickly from the standpoint of they're like, they're really physical guards and they like quickly. He's definitely, he's, he's I'd say maybe more of a finesse player, more of like just a, a spot up shooter, pull up shooter kind of guy. I don't know if Tibbs is going to necessarily, I mean, we'll see if he's going to stick with quickly over those other two guys, which, you know, you were kind of saying, well, We'll see, but I know he's going to want to play 
Grimes and McBride. I think competition is a good thing, right? And especially when you're talking about younger guys, making quickly earn his minutes is not the worst thing. And if he turns out to be better than any of these veterans, like that's a pretty promising sign in the second year for his future. And also like, we have to say this, a lot of the value these young guys have to the Knicks is as a trade chip, right? Like it's no secret that they're waiting for Damian Lillard. I do wonder if there's going to be any part of them. That's like, we have to make sure that quickly has to get a certain number of minutes. We have to make sure that Toppin gets a certain number of minutes just because we need to make sure these guys are showcased for a possible trade. And then the reverse of that is like, well, maybe you play them and they just turn out to not be as good as you'd hope, like Kevin Knox. By the way, Kevin Knox, probably not going to be anywhere close to the rotation. No, he's not. And like that kind of lines up, though, with pretty much their strategy for this offseason. It's like we're going to load up on point guards and shooting guards. And it really felt like an approach where it's like we're going to throw everything against the wall and see what sticks. And so I think you were making the point earlier about there's going to be some injuries with Kemba and D Rose. I feel like there's, there's no question about that. We'll see what they do on back-to-backs, even though Thibodeau in that press conference kind of confirmed that he would prefer if Kemba did play in those back I'll believe that when I see it. Right, exactly. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, look, I, I think it would benefit the Knicks from a developmental perspective, from a, an asset perspective, if they did find minutes for these guys. And I loved what I saw from Deuce McBride and, and Quentin Grimes during the summer league. So personally, I would just love to see them out there. Well, I'll put this out there too. Yes, there are going to be probably be injuries in the backcourt. Last year, Julius Randle and RJ Barrett combined to play 5,178 minutes. That is an absurdly high total for a 72 game season to the point where no two man duo in the NBA came within even 500 minutes of that. The next highest was Damian Lillard and Robert Covington in Portland, just over 4,600. Call me crazy. I'm pretty sure just by your random sprained ankle here or your COVID protocols there, whatever it is, like Randall and Barrett are going to miss more than one combined game next year. I'm not saying that they're injury prone or anything because obviously they're not. But like if you go from them missing one game at 40 minutes per game to maybe going down to 36 minutes a game and missing 10 combined games, that suddenly opens up a fair few minutes. So I think they are building with the expectation of injuries and over a long regular season, like that's meaningful. And I think that's a good place for us to dovetail into the standings. Where do you have them next year? I think we'd both agree that they're probably not going to be the four seed again. No, no, I, I don't think they will be the four seed barring some crazy injuries or misfortunes of other teams, or perhaps I should say if we, for some reason, just start blowing everybody out of the water. But, I mean, you go down the list of teams in the Eastern Conference, the Nets, the Bucks, those two, I mean, definitely perennial one and two. But then you also have that next kind of tier, the Heat, the Hawks, the Sixers. We still don't entirely know what, what they're going to be. The Celtics, like, they're going to be back. They're going to be a good team. And then you have those other you know, squads like the Bulls and Hornets who really kind of swung for the fences, especially the Bulls this year during free agency. And so I think the Knicks, they're probably going to be fighting for a seventh or eighth seed is, is my thinking on it. How about you? Yeah, I think they're going to be somewhere in the plan mix. And by the way, that's through no fault of their own, right? Like, no. A, they were the number four seed last year. 
It's not like they had a five-game lead over the number five seed. It was close in the middle of the conference. They had a lot of injury luck. They had, they were one of the teams that was hit least by COVID. So even if they play the same caliber of basketball they do next year, and I think there's a chance, frankly, that they're a better basketball team next year, they could just circumstantially fall down a little bit. I am personally really high on Atlanta. I think Atlanta has a lot of the same strength the Knicks do as far as depth goes, but their high-end talent is just higher. Like, we saw this in the first round. Trey Young is better than anybody the Knicks have, and it's not all that close. It, so, it, it drives me crazy how young and good that team is. It's just, it's just I'll do another podcast about this at some point. I'm quietly looking at Atlanta and saying, like, why aren't they the team that's trading for Bradley Beal? Because they have so many young guys and so many tradable contracts that, like, even if they traded half of them to Washington, it'd still be fine, right? Like, they could probably get Beal for, like, at least with the ability to keep a certain number of their young guys. That team is so loaded and so deep. Miami, I have some questions about their age and about their health. But assuming that they're, you know, a normal degree of healthy, the Heat are probably going to be very good. And no matter what happens with Ben Simmons, if you have healthy Joel Embiid, you're a top five seed. Like, I just think that's a top six, seven player in the league. He's shown on a regular season basis just how incredible he is. As long as he's there, they're good. So I think that's the top five, and it's pretty unassailable. I think number six is where things start to get interesting. I would probably put Boston number six right now. I really like the offseason they had, and they just have more star power upside than the Knicks do. So I would say the Knicks are probably somewhere in that playing group under that, right? With Indiana, with Chicago, with Charlotte, with Washington, with Toronto maybe. I mean, who knows how they'll look. Like, I don't even think if, – if you were to ask me to make a pick right now, I would say seven or eight. Like, I think I like them more than most of those teams that I listed. But it wouldn't surprise me if, like, they, if the injuries pile up or if, like, they get a couple of bad breaks. If they were nine or ten or even if they were in the lottery, I don't think that would be that surprising. And I also don't think it would be all that meaningful. And I think that's where I want to go next with this, which is that the moves they made this offseason were not upside moves, right? For the most part, this was a let's keep the bulk of our team together and improve upon it slightly set of moves. Like we want to keep being decent. We aren't keeping the powder dry for superstar X or Y as a fan. How does that feel? Because it's very different from what the Knicks usually do. Right. I mean, and I think this is something that you and I were talking about a little bit offline is just mediocrity. And are we okay with that? Right. Like kind of being in the middle of the pack. And I just, you know, I, I feel like it really depends because there are a couple different types of mediocrity, right? Like there's the mediocrity where you've got maybe one star player, a solid supporting cast, guys who kind of reach their peak. You're maybe paying them too much money for too long, don't have a lot of cap flexibility moving forward. Maybe you have your first round picks. Maybe you also don't have them. Um, and like your young pieces, maybe they'll amount to something. Maybe they won't. I mean, when I think about that, I just think about the 2016-2017 Knicks, which is when they had Mello, and during the offseason, they signed Joe Kim Noah to that four-year, $72 million contract, who, they by the way, him. we're still paying him yeah. this year, which is just so much fun. Uh, but they also signed Courtney Lee, Aaron Aflalo, you know, traded for D. Rose and Robin Lopez. And I'd say like the, the ceiling for that team was, was high mediocrity, 
they kind of reached their, their low point, which was, I think they wound up being like 30 and 52 or something. Yeah. Like weren't that. they like or, peripherally, like not in the playoff race, but like semi close, like not, not bottom of the lottery or anything. No, but they, they, they also, they weren't good. No. And I think like, like that's, they, they were, they were meh at best, but like that to me is one type of mediocrity. Then to me, there's another type of mediocrity where you've got a young roster who should be getting better and better each year. And we've seen that type of development from them already. We have proof of it. They're, they're signed to team friendly and not to mention tradable contracts. And they just play really hard defense. They shoot threes. Well, they basically are, are designed to win games in the year 2021. And again, like the fact that they're like, you want a team that's also like very rootable for, and of course now I feel like I'm talking about the current Knicks. Um, so to me, it's like, give me that team. Give me that team that's young, that's developing, that has all these trade assets that you like a lot. Cause like you, you can, you were kind of talking about this before. Like you can take steps forward without signing guys. And you can also create a roster that's built for being able to trade for guys like a Damian Lillard or other stars down the line. So if you want to argue that they didn't hit, if the Knicks didn't hit a home run this offseason, you could argue back like, all right, they hit like a single, maybe a double there. But it's all to ultimately, it's all of that's to ultimately swing for the fences and hit that home run. That's how I feel. Well, even if they don't, even if they never trade for Damian Lillard, even if they never cash in all these assets, yada, yada, yada. I do think it's worth pointing out that the Knicks have been a joke for 20 years. Like that's not nothing. And I look at the Chris Paul era with the Clippers and they never made it to the conference finals. They were, I mean, they had multiple superstars. So like the ceiling on that roster was always higher than this current Knicks roster. But like that was a team that was a joke for decades and decades and decades. Until they weren't. And then they had the stretch where for like five years, they were competitive every year. You had to take them seriously every night that you played them. They never won a championship. But when that team broke up, they didn't immediately fall back into being a joke. They sort of became a sleeping giant where fans and players and media and coaches suddenly really started to respect the Clippers to the point where when Kawhi and Paul George became available, that's where they went, right? And if for five years... The Knicks never top that number four seed if they are never truly in championship contention. Five years of mediocrity can have value. It can help reestablish your brand in the face of players, in the face of the league as a whole, so that maybe down the line, you don't get embarrassed like you did with Kyrie and Kevin Durant. Maybe the next Kyrie and Kevin Durant, five years from now, when this roster has run its course and R.J. Barrett and Emmanuel Quickly are the last guys left, Maybe those guys are able to recruit the star then. Like, I guess I don't want to get too fixated on the superstars because, like, right now, they have a pretty good team. But I do just want to say there is genuine value for a team like the Knicks in a very desirable market that stars are going to want to play for as long as you're not a tire fire in just being pretty good. And I think the Clippers proved that. I agree with you. I mean, I feel like that's – that's a great example of it. I mean, I think you see examples of other teams who, you know, 
took the approach of, you know, we're going to draft a lot of guys. We're going to make sure we hold on to our picks and really grow and develop them. And I think the two teams that I have in my head who were mediocre to bad, at least for a few years while they had them like early on in their careers were the Warriors, you know, with Steph, Draymond and Clay, uh, and then the Bucks with Giannis and Middleton. And this is not to say that that's who the Knicks are and who their players are well, going to turn into. Let me stop you right there. I know what you're okay. going to say. I know that you're doing the Knicks fan thing where it's like, no, I'm not going to pretend that quickly is Stephen Curry because, like, obviously he's not. Like, you're trying to appear rational. Let me just point out, Draymond was the 35th pick. Chris uh-huh. Middleton was a throw-in to the Brandon Jennings trade, right? Like, you can find – I'm not saying that they're going to find a Middleton or a Draymond. But like just because right now we look at the Knicks and we don't see any superstars in their young guys does not mean that they can't develop somebody very, very good and change that equation significantly. Aligned. So, well, that's, I think that's a good place to segue. I want to talk about the star trades. And as far as developing your own team goes, Barrett is the crown jewel of this, right? Like Barrett is the player that if everything breaks right is your internal development superstar there has been some questioning of would you trade RJ Barrett to get Damian Lillard? Before I give you my answer, I'm curious what you think. Would you like, would you do it with everything? Would you say everything but Barrett? Like how would you go about those negotiations? Well, so like, what's the, what's the package we're talking about here? Well, you'd have to match salary. So say it happened this season. I don't know. I'll say Barrett, Fournier, Burks, a couple firsts, like, would you do that for Lillard or would you rather just go to Portland and say like, here's our offer. You can have quickly, you can have Toppin, you can have all of our first round picks and all the swaps, but we are keeping Barrett. Like what is your negotiation approach? What's the kind of deal you would rather make? It's, it's one of those, it's, it's tough to say because the way I think about those, those star trades and maybe I have to, I have to change my mindset a little bit is like, if I'm going to be giving up everything for, you know, a Damian Lillard, and then my team is essentially Julius Randle and Damian Lillard, and, you know, maybe there's a Mitch in there as well. Like that team to me is not winning a championship anytime soon. A hundred percent agree. So that's where I take caution with the gutting the team thing, which we've seen, we've done that before when we traded for Carmelo I guess that was 10 years ago now. That's crazy that that was 10 years ago. Um, but, you know, we, we saw what we had, which was we had Carmelo and we had Amare, and then we signed Chandler after we amnestied, you know, Chauncey Billups. But it really just kind of puts, it puts you at a major, it puts you in a straitjacket essentially for whoever else the rest of your team is going to be and the rest of who you can fill out. But I'm really curious what you have to say, like what, what would your ideal, if we were to trade for Damian Lillard, what would be the package that you'd want to be shipping over? I will make Portland one of two offers and I will dare them to find a better one. You can either have RJ Barrett as like, that's our centerpiece. That's the guy you're getting. We can give you a token pick or two. Fine. We can give you your choice of matching salary. Fine. But like Barrett as the centerpiece, or you can have everything else. You can have quickly, you can have Toppin, you can have all of our picks, you can have all of our swaps. And by the way, like this isn't nothing. The Knicks are one of only two teams in the entire NBA 
that do not owe a single draft pick to another team. It's only them and the Magic, and that's both rounds. The Knicks have two extra first-rounders. They have eight extra second-rounders. Two of them probably aren't going to convey, but like that is a pretty sizable draft pick-based offer, especially if you're trading it for Damian Lillard, right? Because Dame is, what, 31, I think, at this point? If you're trading picks seven years down the line when he's going to be 38, those picks are probably pretty valuable. So I would go to Portland and I would say, look, you can have the Harden offer, which is all of the picks plus a couple of young guys, or you can have the young centerpiece center, which is Barrett and substantially less because you have to keep enough that you can trade for whoever the next guy is. And that might not be a Damian Lillard caliber guy, but if it's just Lillard and Randall, like that's not enough. Even Lillard, Randall, and very good role players. That's not enough. And I look at the other teams in the mix here. I don't think Golden State is really going all out for for Lillard. It seems like their heart is set on Bradley Beal. Um, There's Philly, obviously, but Ben Simmons is sort of an acquired taste, right? Like either you love Ben Simmons and there's nothing the Knicks can offer that is better than him. Because if you are a Ben Simmons person, he's way more accomplished and has way higher potential than Barrett. But if they're, they don't happen to be a Ben Simmons team, then they're not going to just like, that's not a leverage thing, right? They're just going to say, we don't like Ben Simmons, sorry. So I just find it hard to believe that there's a team out there that could top the Knicks everything but Barrett offer. And if you have to offer Barrett and three first round picks, okay, then you still have plenty of other picks to trade. You still have quickly, you still have top and you still have like a fair amount to work with. Maybe not to get another star, but my preference personally would be the everything but Barrett package. We can get into this. I'm personally pretty bullish on how Barrett would fit with another star like Lillard. He shot 41% on catch and shoot threes last year. I, I don't think that he's quite that good, but when you pair that kind of shooting or anything close to it with the kind of ball handling he brings, suddenly his ball handling becomes way more dangerous. The defensive numbers are all over the map. I don't even want to get into those. But there are some defensive metrics that paint him as awful, and there are some defensive metrics that paint him as pretty good. I think he's somewhere in between, and he's a good fit. Just There aren't that many guys with his physical profile that you can get defensively. Like Getting guys who can defend threes is just a really hard thing to do. Reggie Bullock tended to take the harder matchups last year. But physically, I think when Barrett hits his prime, is somebody who should be able to handle most of the forwards in the NBA. And I just think even if he's not this great isolation scorer that Knicks fans want him to be, even if he's not this great pick and roll player that Knicks fans maybe hope that he could be, at least thus far, he hasn't been. We'll see if he continues to develop. Those skills as secondary skills to a star are really, really valuable. And we've seen in the playoffs that as much as we fetishize shooting, having extra ball handling really, really matters. Right. And one of the ways that Barrett improved dramatically last year, aside from, you know, three point range is he was terrific at attacking the basket and finishing. He was a much better free throw shooter. So to your point, he became a creator against the Hawks. He kind of ran into a buzzsaw a little bit, but I think that's the thing with Barrett is like, that was only year two for him, which is kind of crazy to think about. It feels like he's been around for, for a long time, but I, I, I just uh, I agree with you about how if you're going to trade for somebody like Damian Lillard or any other star, you've just you've got to also be sure if you're if you're willing to give up a lot that that other person, whoever it is, is also coming. 
to compliment Lillard and Randall. I don't even think that you have to have that person lined up. You just have to feel comfortable in your ability to get that guy. And the last thing I'll say about Barrett is I think we, we've been pretty premature about judging him as an individual player. When you just look at the sort of lineups he was playing in, right? Like the Knicks were not a good shooting team last year. They had like, we talk a lot about how much Randall improved as a playmaker. He was not a Nikola Jokic run the offense through this guy sort of center, right? Like he was not, he's not a primary playmaker. The Knicks were starting Alfred Payton at point guard. That those teams just Kemba will really improve this. Fournier will help as well. There's going to be a lot more playmaking on the floor this year, and we'll have a much better idea of how RJ Barrett looks in an offense with which which has multiple guys who can dribble, right? Like that's going to make such a difference for him. So I think this year we're going to have a much better idea of what Barrett's ceiling is. If it took Barrett, I would be willing to do it if they kept enough other stuff to trade for somebody else. But I'm sorry, this notion that it's going to be like, oh, Lillard has three years left on his contract, so Portland can get whatever they want for him. No, that's not how this ever works, right? Like going into last offseason, all we were saying was the Nets don't have enough to trade for Harden. They don't have enough. And then lo and behold, they had enough. That's how this works. The price is always lower than you expect it to be. So if it's Barrett, fine. It's only Barrett. Or if it's not Barrett, you can have everything else. But I think if it's Lillard, Barrett, and then Randall. You have a core that's pretty interesting, and you could basically go as far as Barrett's development takes you. I do like that. Sounds nice to me. Come on, Dame. Request <laughs> that trade. We're ready for you. If you asked me to make a pick right now as to where Damian Lillard is on opening night of the 22-23 season, so not this season, but next season, I think I'd probably favor the Knicks slightly. Um, I, I don't – the Simmons thing is so complicated, though. Because it ultimately comes down to Portland's preferences as a franchise. There are teams that still look at Ben Simmons as like franchise player. I did as recently as six months ago, right? Like if Portland is one of those teams, then the Knicks are out of luck. And if they're not, I think they're the heavy favorite. So I want to get into Randall though. You mentioned the extension being pretty team friendly. I actually agree at least to an extent. What I will say is I think the playoff series will ultimately prove beneficial for the Knicks. Randall struggled a lot. I don't think Randall signs this extension if the playoff series doesn't happen, right? Like if he's coming off of the all NBA second team season that he had, and he was just, okay, I can take 117 million or I can wait a year and potentially get 200. I think he waits the year, but because he struggles so much against the Hawks, he gets the security and like, look, we live in a world where Terry Rozier got $97 million yesterday. 117 million for Randall is just not that much. I will say this though. I want Knicks to Knicks fans to rein in their expectations slightly because Julius Randall is not going to shoot as well next year as he did last year. Just a couple numbers on this before March 1st, Julius Randall shot 45.6% in the mid range the year before he shot 30%. <laughs> like that's not going to sustain. And by the way, it didn't after March 1st, he shot 38.6% in the mid range. On threes, he shot 41% last year. He was at 29% in the rest of his career before that. Players improve. I'm not saying that he's going to be 29% again. But last season was played without fans in the building for a lot of the season. I think it was a lot of – I'm just going to say I think it was a lot of luck. I think he's going to come down. 
But there were parts of his game that improved very sustainably. He was a much better defender last year than he'd ever been. He was a better playmaker. And not only that, he increased his playmaking without increasing his turnovers substantially, which is pretty rare. So I do think he made very, very meaningful strides as a player. I don't think he's an all-NBA player. I think that's a bit much. So, Sam, something you said earlier was that the Knicks, one of the things they did this offseason was they got more playmaking. And that was definitely one of the issues they had in the playoffs was that it pretty much became if Julius can't playmake for us, then we can't score. We can't get an easy basket. And so I think the fact that you have a guy like Kemba now who, you know, ideally he'd be able to still score for you. You have Rose, who is he was probably the one guy in the playoffs that you could count on at least a little bit if you weren't. You know, once he got to the like 30 minute mark each game, he ran out of gas a little bit. Um, but you also have Fournier and now you've got RJ, who's a year improved and offseason improved. And I, I feel better about their playmaking as a team. So to me, it's also like we don't necessarily need Julius to average 24, 10 and six this year again, which is probably not realistic anyway. But you have other guys who can contribute and who can create and score more effectively than we did last year. And I feel like that's a really big place where we improved. I think we can see him a lot more as a play finisher than as a play initiator next year, where maybe you're running more pick and roll with him as opposed to some of the centers. I am curious. I would like to see them play him at center a little bit. I know with Robinson and with Nerlens and with Taj Gibson, who... Thibodeau is not going to bench Taj Gibson outright. Like he's going to get oh, the, some minutes. The Taj Mahal? Yes. So I would like to see Julius Randle get some minutes at center. I don't think it would work defensively, but I do think it's important that you get a look at Randle and Toppin as a lineup together, even if it's only like a few minutes here and there, just because I think the offense potential is so high because both of those guys can shoot, both of them can dribble, and both of them are great finishers. So I think the offensive upside, it is so rare to have two big men on an NBA roster right now that can both do that, that I think it's worth experimenting a little bit. And just the other thing is Obi looked very good in summer league. I thought he had some real moments late in the season last year. He's in this very unfortunate position now where he's backing up an all NBA player, but like he was the number eight overall pick. It seemed like they drafted him, drafted him to eventually replace Randall. Now he's kind of in no man's land. And I'm like, I'm just not really sure what they plan to do to get him 20 minutes a game other than maybe playing him with Randall a little bit. So yeah, I'm just, I'm, I'm sort of confused about him. It's one thing when you just take the wrong player, right? Like if you take Kevin Knox and he just turns out to not be good, you live with that. That's a bust. That happens. Obi is not a bust. Like he looks like an NBA player. It's just a matter of how you figure him into the rotation. And I don't have a good answer for that. Do you? It's a tough one. It's hard. And uh, first of all, another New York guy. So another guy who's, he's honestly, he's become such a fan favorite, which is kind of amazing that that happened. Like, especially since he wasn't this dominant scorer that, you know, we all thought he might be last year. Of course, a lot of that is Julius Randle and like that covered up some of those areas, but he remained so poised. I thought Obi Toppin did throughout last season and he became, he developed into a pretty consistent three-point shooter, a guy who was great on the break. And during the summer league, I feel like he really showed a lot of what he did in college, which is like, he can be a bully. 
in the paint. Like he's a pretty strong guy. We know he's athletic. He also was creating a little bit off the dribble, which is not something he did last year at all. And so I think the one thing that Obi does have going for him a little bit, just as far as where can he fit into the rotation is I, I do think he can play multiple positions. You can, if you wanted to, try him at center one time just to see what that looks like. You could try him at power forward, obviously, small forward. If you want to He's do playing three, the defense would really struggle. Well, it dep- I guess it depends who else you're Depends on matchup, I guess. Yeah. Right. But my point is I feel like you can have fun with it. And that's sort of what I like about this Knicks team is like you can have a lot of fun. You can have these weird, funky, small ball lineups with them. You could also have these weird, taller lineups with them as well. And again, I don't know if Tom Thibodeau is necessarily the right coach to be tinkering around in that way. But similar to you, like, I mean, there's definitely concerns of like where where's Obi going to fit in. I will say I do think Tibbs improved in some ways as far as being open-minded last year, playing quickly as much as he did. That's just something I could never imagine Chicago Thibodeau doing. Like, they really relied on it. Now, of course, Alfred Payton started, which was a very, very, like, Thibodeau started this with the Keith Bogan stuff in Chicago. So, like, the big starter thing, yeah. Yeah, he did start Payton for every game last year. Until, until like, the, what was it, the second or third game of the first round? Well, it's funny, like, I think Kemba Walker is, like, a genuine improvement over a lot of starting point guards in the NBA. But over Alfred Payton, it's, like, a monumental improvement. It's like they filled the giant hole at point guard just by not re-signing Alfred Payton. So I wonder, like, (laughs) is that worth, like, three or four wins in itself? Like, we'll see. The real downside here, though, is defensively, like, I believe the Knicks finished fourth on defense last year at the end of the year. There is a lot of reason to believe that that's not going to hold up. Opponents shot 34.7% on wide open threes last year. Second lowest in the NBA. 34.1% on open threes. Fourth lowest in the NBA. 39.6% in the mid-range. Sixth lowest in the NBA. Like, they are getting, they got so much jump shooting luck out of their opponents that if they regress to the mean, they're still a good defense. Like, I think they're still an above average defense. But then you factor in a lot of Kemba minutes, and Kemba is not a good defender. If you're playing OB more, that's probably going to hurt you on defense. I think there is reason to believe that, like, even if the Knicks play similar caliber defense, when you factor in that regression, you might go from four to, like, 12, and that's a really big drop. You need the offense to really step up at that point. Can I, can I ask you something about that, the wide-open three-point shot thing? So I definitely get that in theory, right? It's like if teams are missing wide-open shots from three, there is some luck or some fluke, flukiness to it. But couldn't you also make the case that, like, the Knicks were just so physical on defense and just not letting their opponents get anything easy that part of it – and also, you know, they, they ran a lot and pushed the pace. Do you think some of that can be attributed to how physical they were? Well, I think we're going to find out over this year and the next few years. We haven't really seen a sustained period of a defense affecting wide-open shooters this way, although randomly – Boston tends to really affect free throw shooters for whatever reason, opposing teams struggle at the line against Boston. I don't know why that is. Um, But my point is 
We'll see. We haven't, there isn't really, there aren't many defenses in the NBA that play like the Knicks, not strategically, but like the regular season, every night hustle is meaningful. And I do wonder if you're wide open as a shooter against the Knicks, is there some part of you thinking, oh crap, I've got to get this shot off right away because somebody is going to close out on me really quickly if I don't. And maybe that affects them. I don't know. My instinct is that maybe that has a slight effect, but not much of one. What concerns me is that the Knicks allowed the eighth most wide open threes in the NBA. Like your goal as a defense is number one, prevent shots at the rim, which the Knicks did well at number two, prevent wide open threes, which they really didn't. If you even get up to a league average percentage, if you're letting up that many wide open threes, that's really going to hurt your defense. Yeah. That feels like one of those where I feel like so much of like what the Knicks did last year, there's that narrative of like, Oh, it was, you know, fluky in this way or that way, which again, like, I think there's some legitimacy to obviously it being a COVID shortened season teams, not getting as much rest as they did from the year before Julius kind of just playing out of his mind, a lot of breaks going the next way. But yeah, like, I, like I'm almost excited for this season from that standpoint of like, no, like this is a good team, you know, like they're, they have these guys who are developing are growing Will they be the four seed again this year? We've touched on it, like, probably not. But to me, it's like, I think they, like, they had those things fall for them last year for a reason, you know? And I feel like sometimes people don't give them that credit necessarily. There is a middle ground to all of this, right? Like, did they play over their heads last year? Yes. Were there reasons for that beyond luck? Absolutely. There was a lot of sustainable improvement. They did a very good job of building that roster considering the strengths that constraints they're operating under. They're better. This is not going to be a team that if healthy is tanking, not even close. Like this is a team that is going to be competitive, but being competitive in a suddenly very strong Eastern conference can mean a lot of different things. Even if you regress slightly from a luck perspective and you get slightly less healthy, like those minor dips in this East could push you from four to nine. Right. Also, and that wouldn't be yeah. that wouldn't be indicative of, oh, they were a fluke all along. Like that would just sort of be the NBA gets a little random sometimes. And a right. lot of teams are close and the luckier team tends to have an advantage over an 82 game season. So I agree with you. Like even if they are a play in team next year, I'm not concerned about the future. I trust the direction of the team. But the last thing we should touch on is like they're out of cap space. That's it. They're, they're not going to be a free agent player for the next few years. They're at 122 million committed for next year, or I'm sorry, for this year. So they're over the cap. They've got a fair bit of room below the tax, but James Dolan doesn't mind paying the tax. 125 million committed for next year, but that doesn't factor in a Mitchell Robinson extension. 23, 24, you could maybe talk yourself into some space. At that point, it's only Randall and Fournier, but that doesn't include a new Barrett deal. It doesn't include a new Robinson deal. Quickly and Toppin are technically under options, but they'll be back. That's another 11 million. So realistically, until like maybe the summer of 2024, you're not really looking at likely cap space. So barring a major trade, this is the team that Knicks fans are going to be watching for the foreseeable future. So if that's the case, as a fan of the Knicks, are you excited to watch this team or some version similar to this team over the next three seasons? Yes, and I do want to also I want to flip this back on you for a sec because I am curious. Uh, you know, you, you being the expert here, like does 
does having all that cap space really truly matter at the end of the day? It's a complicated question. And I think what the last two years have taught us is that if a player really wants to come to your team and you really want to acquire that player, cap space is not a necessity. You can find ways to make it work. And as the Knicks have seen, just having cap space is not necessarily a guarantee that you're going to get guys that you want. So I'll just say hypothetically, like if Bradley Beal said next offseason, I want to be a Nick, the fact that the Knicks don't have cap space would not preclude them from acquiring him or whoever that free agent is. But I will say it doesn't seem like free agency is their priority. It seems like they're very keyed in on the few free or the few superstars that are probably going to get traded in the next year or two. It seems like right now their priority is Lillard. And once they get Lillard, then we'll figure out what kind of, what happens after that. But once you get the first star in the, like once you get the first star in the building, it gets much easier to get the second star. And that's what Brooklyn saw, right? They had two. They had Kevin Durant and they had Kyrie Irving. That made it easier for them to get James Harden. So I'm not saying the Knicks have a James Harden at the end of this rainbow, but right now their whole thought process is how can we get the first guy? And once we get the first guy, that'll help us get the second. I also, I just want to point out, I like how you phrased it. Once the Knicks get Lillard, (laughs) then we can go from there. That just made me very happy. Look, I mean, I I wouldn't put any specific team as having a better than 50% chance at having Damian Lillard at the start of next season, even the Blazers, frankly. I think it's likelier that he gets traded than not over the next year, but there's no specific team that I would say like, yes, they are super likely. Given all of the unlikely outcomes, I think the Knicks are the favorite for a variety of reasons. I think he would like to be there. I think he would feel like he could recruit there. They've got enough in place that they wouldn't be terrible from the start. I think it's a pretty desirable situation to be in, but we'll see, right? There is a chance that like Golden State just outbids everybody or Portland loves Ben Simmons. I don't know. And I don't know where the Knicks would pivot if they didn't get Lillard. But right now, that seems to be the priority. And from that perspective, it's just a matter of waiting, right? Like sooner or later, this Portland situation is probably going to combust. Maybe it's at the deadline. Maybe it's next offseason. We'll see. But for now, it seems like that's what the Knicks are waiting for. I think there's also there's that distinction and we've been talking about it a little bit between bad, like having bad contracts and team friendly contracts. And I think the fact that the Knicks and also assets, right? Like people that players that teams are actually interested in, like the Knicks, they've got Randall who's being paid over $20 million a year. From what I remember, I think maybe Fournier is like he comes in at seventeen million a year. About that, yes. The final season non guaranteed, which I think is important for trade purposes. The Knicks do not have matching salary that any team would be uncomfortable taking on. Right, right. Like if they, they had like, to take on Fournier, I don't think that would bother Portland. There's no like poison contracts that they have. Like they don't have any of those. Like none of their guys are untradeable because of their contracts. And in fact, they have a lot of guys now who are on rookie deals, you know, between the RJs and the OBs and the quicklies of the world, they're all assets. But then even the guys like they're paying a little bit more, like to me, Fournier is still an asset. And like, if for some reason Randall became kind of this like big trade chip and big person that, you know, other teams wanted, you could entertain that as well, because he's not, he's not being paid that like super max money. 
the Pelicans had a really weird offseason, and I'm not we're not gonna do the Zion thing today. Oh man. But I think in like in the next nine months, there's gonna be some big story from the athletic about like here's how frustrated Zion Williamson is. When that happens, that's when we that's when the bat signal flashes and we come back to do the you know, RJ Barrett is his best friend conversation. He is, don't forget it. Nobody forget that. That's I think that's the right place to close. <laughs> Mac- <laughs> Isn't so, that so, hold, on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Isn't that where so we ended last time? This, yeah, this is where we've – I think we should make it a point to end with Zion Williamson, who right now, for all intents and purposes, has nothing to do with the Knicks at every all. Every podcast. <laughs> yeah, every podcast. So I think basically we can conclude this entire conversation on uh, the Knicks are going to get Zion Williamson probably sooner rather than later, and uh, him and RJ are going to get a nice – uh, condominium in, in New York City together. Do you think and, they uh, live we'll, in Manhattan we'll or do you think around. they live do you think they live in Manhattan or do you think they live at the near the practice facility in Westchester? Or White Plains, wherever it is. You know that building that Chris Brickley has like all of his training sessions in? It's like it's like 34th Street, like all the way west. It's oh, where yeah. it Porzingis. I think it was and, Porzingis yeah, Didn't, lived, didn't like Carmelo live near there? Like didn't Carmelo live on the High Line? It was it was something like that. They should just just get a house in in Brickley's building, you know. Just, no, just buy one of the like buy the top three floors on one of those highline. Yeah, buildings. it'll be like college all over again. Right, you're right on the West Side Highway. You can get upstate pretty quickly. I yeah. think that's a move. Or you know what, Zion, your MSG. Zion, if you want to be a hero in New York City to your teammates, what you do is you tell James Dolan, "I will come to the Knicks, but only if you build a practice facility in Manhattan." Because players are so tired of, tra- of, of commuting to Terrytown. <laughs> I yeah, think I mean, that would make him a hero to his teammates. <laughs> yeah, I'm like trying to – there, there, there's plenty of open real estate in New York right now. It wouldn't yeah. be hard to find a building. Buy the post office, James Dolan. You can afford it. <laughs> that is the place to close. Backlund, it was an absolute pleasure. I will be seeing you in person in, God, less than a month, I think. We're, oh, we're I- coming out to the end of this thing. It's been a while. We've only yeah, had I, these zooms. I, I honestly, I can't wait. Um, and what's really awesome about you coming back too is we'll actually get to watch the Knicks together and enjoy them together in person. Yeah, man, I am very, very excited. I mean, when I left New York, the Knicks had, a, or the New York had a team that was basically an eight seed in the Nets and a lottery team in the Knicks. I'm coming back and the Nets are the freaking empire. And the Knicks are like a pretty good playoff team. So it's going to be fun to be back in New York and to see those teams. Like, like I'm telling you, Sam, like I think your value to New York sports is either equal to or greater than whatever Kemba Walker is going to bring to the Knicks this year. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, right. We're in the same ballpark is all we're saying. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. All right, man. That'll do it for us today. Go like, go subscribe, go review, go do whatever it is you've got to do to get get people to listen. And we will be back. I'm assuming this is going to go up on Monday, so – We will be back certainly later this week, maybe even tomorrow. We'll see. But that'll do it, and thank you for listening.